Holiday. You're listening to the Tashi Station Book Club, the bright center in the universe for science fiction and fantasy literature discussion. I'm your host, Nancy, and joining me this month are Megan and Bria to discuss Phasma by Delilah Dawson. So welcome back, Megan and Bria. Hello. Thanks. <laughs> so you guys will recognize Megan, a uh, frequent guest on the book club. I think you were last on for Radiance. Yeah, I feel like I'm becoming a regular. Yes. And uh, you can also hear her on the Western Reaches. And uh, Bria, you have also been a guest on the show before. I think most Twice, I think. Yeah, I think most recently for Mage Worlds. Yeah. And uh, also you can see Bria on uh, the Tashi Station blog. I guess not see you, but read you. No, <laughs> if they can see me while they're reading what I'm writing, we have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yes, this month we are back to doing a Star Wars book. Um, this is one of those months where we have a book by a female author about a female character, and so all the fates have aligned, and uh, we have a Star Wars book for the book club. So cool, we've gotten a couple of those lately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could have had also another book be the book club this month because we had Leia, Princess of Alderaan. So uh, oh, I was thinking Inferno Squad. Yeah, that Aim. too. Yeah, I, I'm fine with this. <laughs> All the ladies. <laughs> yes. Uh, so as always, we will start with the plot description. This one comes from the Penguin Random House website. So here we go. One of the most cunning and merciless officers of the First Order, Captain Phasma, commands the favor of her superiors, the respect of her peers, and the terror of her enemies. But for all her renown, Phasma remains as virtually unknown as the impassive expression on her gleaming chrome helmet. Now an adversary is bent on unearthing her mysterious origins and exposing a secret she guards as zealously and ruthlessly as she serves her masters. Deep inside the battlecruiser Absolution, a captured resistance spy endures br brutal interrogation at the hands of a crimson armored stormtrooper, Cardinal. But the information he desires has nothing to do with the resistance or its covert operations against the First Order. What the mysterious stormtrooper wants is Phasma's past, and with it, whatever long-buried scandal, treachery, or private demons he can wield against the hated rival who threatens his own power and privilege in the ranks of the First Order. His prisoner has what Cardinal so desperately seeks, but she won't surrender it easily, as she wages a painstaking war of wills with her captor, bargaining for her life in exchange for every precious revelation, the spell-binding chronicle of the inscrutable Phasma unfolds. But this knowledge may prove more than just dangerous once Cardinal possesses it, and once his adversary unleashes the full measure of her fury. Uh, and that was some fury. But we'll get yes. to that. <laughs> so, initial impressions. Uh... Bria, let's start with you. <laughs> I'm still trying to come up with a good enough pun joke going off of Fury Furiosa because, you know, <laughs> Mad Max in space. But I have nothing. I'm sorry. Um, initial impressions from my delirious read at four in the morning were that I liked it. Uh, it wasn't entirely what I expected when they first announced the Phasma book, but it was delightfully violent. And I really enjoyed that. Uh other initial impression has to do with other First Order elements, but we'll get to those later. <laughs> and uh, Megan, what about you? 
I'll second that it wasn't what I expected when I heard that it was going to be this framing story with the interrogation. I thought like, oh, that's neat. Thematically, it makes it really intense and it matches with what uh, Delilah Dawson said at Celebration about Phasma is mostly seen through reflection. She said, um, when Phasma kills you, you see your reflection as you die. And I loved that. And <laughs> thinking about the structure of this book made me think about the way she reflects on other people. But because of that format, it wasn't entirely what I expected it to be either. Yeah, I will echo that. <laughs> I wasn't what I expecting. Um, there were there were parts that I didn't care for very much, but I overall, I liked it. And I think that as I think back on it, I like it more the more I think about it. Um, and you know, I, I, I'm not sure when I'll get around to rereading it just because of having other books to read. But I, I think this is definitely gonna be one of the books that I like more the second time I read it. Um, and uh, if you haven't, uh, Megan um, writes for Den of Geek and wrote a really good review of Phasma. So go check that out. Oh, and thank you. Also, shout out to Bria for writing a review at what time in the morning? <laughs> uh, I think I published this one at 10.30. Oh, okay. Because I wrote Leia. I reviewed and wrote the Leia one first. About. I was on like two hours of sleep. It's fine. Uh, read Megan's. Don't read mine. I haven't reread mine to see if I was delirious yet. Uh, I know, but I've I, always impressed by your reading speed and yeah. your uh, quickness oh. to post things, Bria. Thank you. I try. So, um... There are basically two plots going on in this book. The, the the present story, which is on the absolution, and the backstory Phasma origin on Parnassos, a.k.a. Mad Max Planet. Uh, so um, the book starts off with Vi getting captured, and Vi Marotti is the resistance spy. She's taken prisoner by Cardinal, who is another stormtrooper. Basically, he trains the little kids and then hands them off to Phasma when they get older. And he has been falling out of favor with the upper brass ever since Phasma came about and wants to know what her story is, where she's from, and he basically does not trust her. And he is absolutely 100% right. You should not trust her. Uh, yeah. Um, and I, I, I think it was really interesting because we've gotten a lot of... Um, bad guy-centric books, I guess you can call them, recently... Uh, with Thrawn and Inferno Squad and now this book and they're all they all do a really good job at making the bad guy sympathetic um, but while still having a character that you could definitely call a villain um, like I feel like I understand Phasma more now but I definitely like she's definitely a villain and not a good person <laughs> yeah so i wouldn't I was, call her sympathetic in the least no like, she terrifies the crap out of me i definitely like i i like phasma from the movies um i was excited to find out more about her but i actually like her less after reading this book ah. <laughs> which I think is a good thing in a way because I do, especially in Star Wars, I like that they kind of push home this lesson of like, they are the bad guys. You are not supposed to be rooting for them. Um, but her especially, like even in the blurb, it says she's uh, zealous. 
mm-hmm. which she's kind of not. Like, the one thing that I thought she was loyal to, and, like, loyalty as an inherently good uh, trait, I think, was something you kind of latch onto her, even though she was loyal to something terrible. But sort of what you find out in this book is that she's not even loyal to the First Order. She's just loyal to herself. Yeah. And I like that they did that, but I like her less as a person. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Cardinal. You, wait, I have ahead. a question though, Megan. Do yeah. you, okay, you say you like her less as a person, but did it affect how you liked her as a character? Because for me, there's, those are always like a distinction with the bad guys and all. Yeah, well, I may have to be careful to the way I like form, form my definitions here, because I guess what I mean is that um, I like her less as a character as well. Um, okay. I don't like I like the First Order as characters um, and I generally and I was interested to see more about them. Um, but I found that I had less to latch on to after the, the book, because the one thing that I thought was her like saving grace kind of. And I realized that this is very complicated because this idea of like, how do you identify with a villainous character, that sort of thing. But the one thing that I thought she had that I sort of liked was that loyalty, which she didn't really have in the book. Does that okay. answer your question? In <laughs> it definitions does. That it does. Yours? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I'm, I would be interested to see, like, obviously, um, they couldn't, obviously, the books now can't go into as much depth as some readers would like, just because of the nature of the, um, you know, the movies coming out, and everything is going to go by them, and they don't want to contradict anything, which makes total sense. So the way this story was set up makes sense in all that is that you learn about Phasma, but you don't really... You know, you have more questions after the story is over. Um, And I, you know, I'm wondering if maybe we'll get more out of her, you know, her story or her background and see, like, is is there anything that she's loyal to? Like, I'm really interested in finding that out. Like, I thought, you know, it's definitely, you know, not her her brother, you know, and if she's not loyal to her brother, is she loyal to anything besides herself and i think that well, would not be- her parents <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, that would be definitely something very interesting to to explore um and i, I I'm, I'm thinking that the answer would be no there really isn't and that explains actions of hers at circular base but now i'm thinking that she's gonna definitely be out for revenge um have okay well- I was okay. I'm gonna phrase this as a question, Nancy, but I already know the answer. Yes. Have you been reading the Phasma comic? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because uh-huh. listen, I, I was just I knew the answer. But so the the comic's actually been fitting really well with the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and seeing that she always is looking out for herself first and foremost. Like she's currently, sorry if anyone's mine's top level spoilers, but she's like trying to make sure that no one finds out that she's the one who lowered the shields to the point of like going after this dude or no girl dude person (laughs) sorry yeah i i've been delirious past couple times i've read the comic but uh to go after the the first order person and like hunt them down under the yes oh no they're actually the ones who lowered the shield 
So I, yeah. I like that it's all fitting together like that. It's really consistent with the comic and it's really consistent with the movie. Yeah. yeah. I am actually interested in, in possibly reading the comic. So it, I, but I probably wouldn't read it until it was all finished just because I am, you know, curious as to going into the last Jedi. Um, but, um, the other, you know, we have we have Vi and Cardinal basically, you know, telling their stories, um, and we te- we learn about Phasma's backstory not through Phasma but through Vi, but then through another character, Siv. So we're really getting like the third hand account of Phasma. So I really have to wonder how much of this is accurate. <laughs> um, but uh, as far as this stuff on Parnassus, what did you guys think of that? I think, I think Megan, you really liked the stuff on Parnassus, if I remember correctly. There were some really vivid scenes. The arena fight was very Mad Max and very brutal. This, the other section that I kind of think of now is the um, the Warren from Watership Down, like the dystopic droid factory oh yeah that was, was creepy well i didn't think it was super well done in terms of evoking the creepiness but it was memorable so yeah those two parts um because they really got me visually those were definitely more memorable to me than the absolute absolution stuff even though i think the characters in the absolution section learned more and changed more the scenes in Parnassus had more action and more interesting world building. See, that's interesting because I'm the opposite where I liked the absolution stuff more. (laughs) I got the sense that there was a lot of care put into the absolution stuff. I keep fumbling that word. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, There was definitely a lot of care put into Cardinal, a lot of care put into, uh, V's uh, dialogue. I thought those were well done. Um, Parnassus just kind of hit like my aesthetic that Mad yeah. Max desert yeah. thing. Weirdly enough, the one of the scenes you mentioned as being very Mad Maxy was the the arena stuff. Was where I went, huh? This is kind of Hunger Games. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was thinking of Geonosis. <laughs> oh yeah, that too. Yeah. Um. I yeah I. Parnassus was really really weird for me like like I I was trying to wrap my hand around like just basically a post-apocalyptic story but it's in Star Wars and you know Star Wars is you know what we see of it is very most of it is very futuristic um except you know there are places like Jakku and Tatooine that are that are not and but they still have some sort of civilization. Uh, and Parnassus, I thought, like, I, I can't remember, like, a planet like this in, in the modern, like, part of the timeline that's, like, completely uncivilized. Um, no, and I, I think that it is very modern in the sense that it's clearly a planet that's gone through change. It's not yeah. like Hoth is basically an ice planet. It's a scene. It's a background. It doesn't change much. Um, as they walk through Parnassos, you see how it has changed. And, like, you get to sections that 
kind of explain what happened there. And I thought that was very new for Star Wars because I know it's a bit of a joke that like each planet has its own biome, but this one really had a different kind of story to it. It felt real, even though it's the dystopian sort of post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic, there we go, I can speak. <laughs> but it felt like, because everything you guys are saying, like that did make it feel more real. Yeah. And to me, all the stuff on Parnassus was where I could definitely see. Because she mentioned, so Delilah mentioned at Celebration that uh, Matt Stover's Heroes Die is like one of the very big influences on her. Yeah. And I was, when I was reading that bit, I was like, yep. Yeah. All of this, I can um, see it all. And she said that she had to listen to the Mad Max soundtrack while writing. And I definitely, <laughs> definitely I love see that. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My, I think my problem was I, I was finding it very, very hard to relate to everything that was going on. And, you know, it's hard to explain because like a lot, you know, I read books that are not based in reality. Um, but a lot of times I can like, f- like wrap my head around what the world is like, how do people live their daily lives, you know, and uh, like just the whole environment of the skyer and then like the claws and all of that i'm like how do these people live man <laughs> like it was just so I, so crazy but i i i i really loved when they started crossing the planet and you you realize like more of what has happened and eventually we learn that there was a nuclear disaster and i'm like i want to learn about that story and what the hell happened on this planet and why it was abandoned and how did the people get like over here out into like the completely other side of the planet like I was like go ahead (laughs) Uh, I agree with you that there was sort of a distance to those those sections and that's part of the nature of this book I think like one of the things that I sort of had to kind of handle and go okay this isn't going to be my only opinion about this book was the fact that it was all done through different points of view so you don't get close to Phasma because you're seeing her through Civ through uh, V through Cardinal and that did bug me a little because then it was all pinned on Civ and I didn't she was likable, like she was a good person, which yeah. was sort of a rarity in this book, as much as her civilization could allow her to be. But there wasn't a lot of depth to her, and she herself always felt a little distanced from what was going on, which I thought was a, a detriment to it. See, yeah. I felt like that was sort of the point, in a way. Mm-hmm. So when we've got, like, Tarkin, or we had Thrawn, um, we didn't get it so much in Thrawn, we got more of the person watching it, but we did get those little insights into his head and Tarkin is where you're with him most of the time. Um, but I felt like that sort of showed the contrast between the sorts of characters that those two are and what sort of person Phasma is. Like, she doesn't share. She doesn't want people to know. Like, she would always have... She kept the mask. She had the helmet. Like, she always... She keeps herself withdrawn and more reserved from other people. So in a way, it felt very fitting. It felt more like a feature than a bug. That's part of why I, I said, like, I don't want that to be the one thing that I hang my opinion on. Because that, that was the intent. And just because that wasn't my choice, like, how, like, just because that wasn't my style doesn't mean it's 
bad. It's just that's how that character is portrayed. I would still I think it's possible to write characters who are distanced from others, but still write from their point of view. And I would have liked some more of that. But this just wasn't that book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the the little tiny bit we got of Phasma at the end, I really liked, and yeah, I was like, was "Oh cool. man, I would like to read more of of that." Um, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I would want to be in her head. <laughs> that would be scary. I That's, definitely, yeah. That just, oh man. <laughs> um, this takes me back to the Darth Maul book, Shadowhunter, which like I grew up with essentially. Um, in terms of my Star Wars fandom, where it's like half from his point of view and half from characters you're actually supposed to like. Yeah. <laughs> so it like balances it out a little bit. And so obviously, like that's not new in Star Wars at all. That's something that they've always done with with villain characters kind of letting you letting you escape their perspective because their perspective is sort of dark. Right. So Basically, the stuff on Parnassus is, um, you know, Phasma's group, the Skyre is, you know, warring with, I mean, not really warring, but they they end up fighting over territory with the Claws, which is another group, and her and her brother have conflict over what to do. Um, uh, they see a ship fall from the sky and it's a first order ship with uh Brendel Hux on board. And She's the worst. She is the worst. Uh and they you know basically end up escorting him across the planet back to where his ship is. Um and I was like, I don't, I, I, I'm like, I don't, I don't buy Brendel Hux being able to walk across the planet with them. <laughs> Did they ever specify where he was going? Like, where was he headed that he was so. supposed to be? I think he was just like, I don't know. I don't know if he was going to the planet specifically to scout it out or if it just happened to get there and shot down. I like, I assumed he was on another one of his recruiting runs. Yeah. Um. So there's, you know, all of this, all of these things happen as they go across the planet. They um, g- get attacked by these beetles that end up playing a very big role in the story. Uh, they get kind of kidnapped by droids. <laughs> um, that was really weird. And I'm like, are we going to stay here for a month while they work in the mines? <laughs> like... <laughs> okay um and then uh they get captured by the like gladiator people or like they have to fight what what i can't remember what was the guy's name what was the leader's name oh Oh, um now that's gonna bother me it's a great question (laughs) but let um, me see if i can look it up but they're uh eratu yes eratu uh, they have to they fight for the Aratu, and then Phasma ends up killing him and becoming the new <laughs> Aratu. Which is that I, if that is not like a metaphor for Phasma, I don't know what is. I just love that. Watch out, Kylo Ren. <laughs> uh, watch out, Snoke. <laughs> yeah, someone uh, just killed Snoke. Yeah, I mean, I would like Phasma a lot more if she killed Snoke. <laughs> But um, so eventually we get to, you know, they are, you know, able to leave and 
there's this big, huge battle because all of the people from Phasma's old tribe end up like just showing up basically kind of like in you know mad max and her her brother has has um a has a leg amputated because of phasma uh so they're like dragging him (laughs) i'm like this i'm like picturing it in my head i'm like this is crazy this is effed up (laughs) (laughs) um but like they end up basically killing everyone uh and like Siv is the only person left and they're like leave her she's soft and i was like holy crap that's harsh and Siv is pregnant at the time yeah yep yeah and that was like phasma said she wanted to do what was best for her people but she ends up destroying her clan and not really caring much about it and i think yeah. that says a lot about her yeah, yeah. like everyone is just gone and that's like yeah. crazy and then they even killed uh she even managed to knock off the one kid yeah that was frey was her yeah. name frey, frey. Oh, yeah. yeah 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 and um the uh i can't remember the guys the guy's name who was who got i think it was car the one who was killed by the bug um mm. and that was just gross and i'm like oh that's gonna come back later <laughs> and like as soon as they were like brendel hux got sick unexpectedly i'm like mm, i wonder how <laughs> i just really want to hear whatever like fake <laughs> emotional speech my boy armitage gave being like and also i want it known i got what 25 minutes of the podcast before mentioning armitage i feel like i should get a gold star for that but I just really want to know because Cardinal's talking about it and like he probably wrote it from the from like when he was 10 years old and just had it in his back pocket like (laughs) probably actually for my father's inevitable death yeah (laughs) like like did you see the screenshot of the 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 obituary like for Hugh Hefner that was posted this morning and it was like a it was like a placeholder obit Oh yeah, and some don't think so. And like it accidentally got published, like it, you know, like I don't know how, but probably like wrong versioning or whatever. Yeah. And so they posted the the placeholder one instead of like the 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 one that they had actually filled out. And yeah, it was, was like, like died by who or died from what? Yeah. Uh, where? According to whom? Yeah. <laughs> So I'm like, that's probably like what Armitage has in his back pocket. Oh, like that eulogy madlins. <laughs> um so um I'm so proud of my son. Eulogy <laughs> madlins. So um the I guess the, the 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 coda with Phasma isn't really like part of either of the storylines but i guess you would consider it the parnassos because it's it's a year after she leaves um and she basically goes back to the planet and makes her uh chrome armor out yes, of out like of the a, yacht yeah. the one thing i wanted from this book was yeah. how she got her armor and i got to see her forge it and i was very happy with that yeah from from the emperor's yacht itself and it's not like she really cares about the emperor. She no. just likes that it's really blaster-proof metal. And she yeah. wants to, you know, distinguish herself. Like, like Cardinal has his armor. Now she she has her own. Um, probably he did not like that a lot. 
<laughs> and no, while she's there, she doesn't seem like it. And while she's there, she takes one of the the beetles to to use later. Um, so, is there anything else we want to discuss for the Parnassus part before we go to the absolution stuff? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm, abso- I'm absolutely here for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only thing about the Parnassus stuff is like I really. I love Mad Max Fury Road, but I realize that it does not make a very good prose story because and it might just be my problem because I have a very hard time visualizing things while I read. So I'm just like, you know, remembering when I saw Fury Road and I'm just like staring at the TV with my eyes open like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. And I was like kind of sad this wasn't a movie. (laughs) So you could see all the cool stuff. But um, but yeah, for the absolution stuff, it is basically just kind of like a cat and mouse interrogation story. Um, Colonel's an interrogator who isn't very good at his job. No, I was just going to say he's really bad at torture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's probably it's not even his job. That's no. probably why he's so bad at That's it. Sure, it's not, is it? I mean, his job no. is to like nurture kids. You know, <laughs> like he's the opposite of Phasma, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. You know, because if you consider like traditional gender roles, he's got the little, little kids, and she gets them and trains them to be killers. Um, yeah. Um, I wouldn't trust Phasma with kids. Uh, I mean, no, no definitely. No. <laughs> um. So, Colonel basically, like, he has been tracking her and knows that, somehow knows that she has information about Phasma and knows that she just came back from this planet and wants to find out everything that she knows about Phasma. And, like, like, it seemed like, you know, she told a really, really long story just to get to the point that he wanted (laughs) And I was like, wow, Vi, you're really good at drawing out this, drawing this out. And like, I kind of was getting annoyed about it. And I'm like, this is really good writing because like, I know Cardinal's also really annoyed and I'm really annoyed. I'm like, just get to the point. Come on. I'm sort of going to jump ahead here because like that was where one of our listener questions asked what their dynamic reminded us of. And John said Shahrazad. And I was like, that's exactly it. Mm hmm. Because the whole thing with Shahrazad is she would tell him the story and then leave him wanting more. So that way he wouldn't kill her that night. And she had, you know, come back the next night and tell him the rest of the story and then start another one. So Vi was totally just doing that. Well, not the exact same thing, but like the similar concept with Cardinal. And he just, he tried. Yeah, that's really good. And that could be an argument in favor for saying that what happened on Parnassos might not necessarily be completely accurate. Like from an out-of-universe perspective. I think it's yeah. canon, but Vi has plenty of reasons to embellish it. Yeah. Or I mean, maybe just one specific reason. Yeah, because I mean she's obviously not she doesn't have a recording of it. She just has what Siv told her and you know doesn't necessarily remember exactly what was said. You know, it's like you telling a story to a friend and you're gonna be like, Oh, and he was like this, and then she was like this, you know. Um Oh, I did have a question for you guys about like writing style related to this. Uh-huh. Because every now and then within the Parnassus stuff, like it happened more towards the end, but where you would have you would feel like it was just Siv's point of view. 
And then you would get something from Vi in first person tossed in. Yeah. Did that feel jarring to you guys or was it just me? Like I didn't mind at the very, very end, but like. Yeah, Yeah, it it did feel jarring because there wasn't a lot of either distinction between the two or smoothness between the two. I think there could have been a little more stylistic stuff done to make that transition more smooth. Yeah, like I I felt like it was like she was it was written as so like Vi was talking to you, but yeah, and like you were like taking the place of Cardinal, but like it I I feel like it could have happened. Either it needed to happen more or not at all to like. Yeah, I agree or, with that completely. Okay. Yeah. Um. So so finally, Vi finishes with her story, and it's like, like maybe three quarters of the way through. Is it or like yep. or like more? Because like. chapter thirty one ish is <laughs> when the, all the good stuff goes down. Yeah, that was I really mean, when I started like not being able to put the book down, and I was like really. So basically, she finishes the story. Um, you know, she has one of the beetles that Siv gave her and is like, this is, you know, this is how she killed Ox. Um, and he goes to confront uh Armitage <laughs> and is like he I, I imagine him like his chest is all pumped up. He's like, I have this information that he's going to pro- he's gonna be so happy and he's gonna promote me, and then he's like uh yeah, I told her to do it. <laughs> and yeah. he, and like I just imagine like the all the air deflating out of a balloon. <laughs> I think the best part of that is, is that Armitage does this while wearing a black silk robe <laughs> and draping himself over an ice blue couch. Yeah, what the hell was that <laughs> bullshit? <laughs> it was amazing. That's what it was. I was like, oh come on. What like I mean it told don't get me wrong it totally fits who he is i know i died like, i had to put the book down and like <laughs> laugh so hard I, w- I was crying for like 10 minutes uh so yeah like this book does a lot to confirm that everyone is the worst <laughs> brendel hux is the worst phasma is the worst armitage is the worst you know i'm like you leave my son alone Yep. He's yeah, he's kind of trash, Bri. I'm sorry. Listen, he's done absolutely everything wrong his entire life. I mean, but that doesn't mean I don't blame him for wanting to kill his father because his father is terrible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um so you know, he Cardinal is like completely blown blown over by this and like his loyalty starts being questioned. Um, which is very interesting because the whole idea that Phasma has no loyalty to anything and gets to stay in the First Order as a, you know, very, you know, a cherished part of the First Order. And Cardinal, who is extremely loyal, ends up being pushed out. Um, She's so good at covering her tracks. Yeah. Um, And, you know, they eventually have a confrontation. And it's, it's very interesting because they haven't, like interacted at all throughout the book like all you've gotten is cardinal's thoughts on phasma and then you know her on parnassos but to me it felt like the entire book had been leading toward that confrontation um and i thought that was like a really um it showed really strong writing 
from Delilah's part because they hadn't interacted at all and yet you're on the edge of your seat to see how this goes down. Um, and it was a really good fight. I was really yeah. impressed with it. But also, I never had a doubt in my mind who was going to win. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. It was, like, e- even knew. taking, you know, she's in Force Awakens and Cardinal is not, like, out of the equation. I was like, bye, buddy. You tried. Yeah. I didn't think he was going to die, but I definitely was like, Phasma is definitely going to win. Um and and I, I was I was really rooting for him to like leave and defect and he, he I guess he does, but he doesn't because Vi ends up like rescuing him and so I guess he's kind of defected by proxy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it would have been a bit too much for yeah. him to defect on his own because he definitely kind of dominated the narrative at the end and that choice was really important, but I'm glad that Vi was kind of the one that took the initiative there, if only because it's like you're comparing a male character who's had a big change of heart to a female who's been relatively static. You know, I'm glad that she also was part of making that decision purely on a like gender level. Yeah, I um, I, I think it would be I, I'm normally against retconning things like into movies or whatever, but I think it would be really interesting to like if see if Cardinal is retconned to anyone in The Force Awakens or like just any in the resistance in general like if we you know if he's name dropped later on that would be interesting someone um, and Vi are off doing intelligence things somewhere yeah I think I said someone to someone on the internet suggested that he should meet Finn yes I was, I was just like, gonna, oh. I was gonna say that I, I, I think I said that to you and I was oh, like oh maybe it was you someone <laughs> maybe it was me <laughs> some rando yeah but I was definitely like I want to see them interact and like cause he would know Finn <laughs> um yeah. oh yeah sad oh yeah he probably would have it well it depends cause... he was probably old enough to have we stunned some of Finn's training. Yeah, it's because it depends on when exactly this is. Because so they they didn't really reveal reveal a set place in the timeline, which is good because <laughs> then you have all the people going, "Well, you said this was this," and like basically all we know is it's after Bloodline at some point. Yes, um, but before the Force Awakens. Yeah, after Bloodline, before the Force Awakens. So Finn is. Like, how old is he supposed to be in The Force Awakens? Like, 21 or 22, I think? 22, yeah. 20, 22, I think. So, six years before that, he would have been, like, 16. So, yeah, he would have definitely have gone through car- training with Cardinal. So, Del Rey. <laughs> Here's a suggestion for you. <laughs> um, Give me all the First Order. So, um, I guess we were to say, like, what we were favorite characters if any i mean bria i know what you're gonna <laughs> do say. i have to even say it okay favorite new characters first <laughs> fine um i mean everyone died so <laughs> i mean like yeah but you still like him <laughs> i guess i guess vi although i really want cardinal's armor yeah (laughs) which hold on i want to call some bs right now because unless the the armor like in the first order world is better like is somehow magical or they have like a dress you station like you cannot put on first order stormtrooper armor by yourself it's a load of bs right there 
It's a movie. Magical things happen. I'm in the five oh four. It's not my fault. He used the force. That's not how the force. Well, I guess it is kind of how the force works. But um, that five oh first experience, you would know. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I I was jokingly called the first order squire for about a solid year because I was the one who knew how to get people in and out of that kit the fastest. <laughs> that sounded wrong. You know what I meant. Um. Yeah, I, I, the one guy, one guy I really liked was, what was his name? Torben. Yeah, I was gonna say I like Savin Torben. And I do not watch Game of Thrones, but the only thing I could think of was the the guy, Torben. (laughs) Yes, he's based on. Um, did she say he was based on Jason Momoa, or was I just imagining that? Maybe I might have to reread that with my in mind (laughs) because I was definitely fan casting him as Jason Momoa. I mean, I'm, I'm down with both. I think it was just because of the name similarity. And then, like, of course, Gwendolyn Christie. <laughs> I was like, like, that's it, it just popped into my head. And I'm like, all right, you're that guy that I don't watch yeah. the show for. But I know who you are. <laughs> like, he and Siv were like, they seemed like nice people. They liked yeah, each other. And, like, when he came, better when characters like each other. And when he came over and he was like... I noticed you were pregnant. I'm like, that's really <laughs> sweet and kind of creepy, but also sweet. <laughs> well, definitely said something about their society. How yeah. like the, the the relationship was not, you know, what we would think of as a relationship. Yeah. They had their own connection. You know? Yeah, and she was also sleeping with Phasma's brother, who I can't remember his name, but um, I I am very grateful that. She put in that, you know, people had problems having babies and like miscarrying and things because that is 100% realistic in a society where you have no medical care. Um, So like the whole idea of like, oh, we haven't had a child in so long. I was like, yes, thank you. Like, don't make it easy because it's it's not easy like with with act- actual medical care so um and then you find out that they've got like radiation sickness on yeah. top of being sort of primitive so yeah yeah I, uh, makes sense yeah i was really hoping that you know the baby would be okay and then i'm like so at the end you know you find out like you know civ is still there on the planet with her child and i'm like so are they just living in the city by themselves <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> Where else yeah. can they go? Yeah, I don't, I guess nowhere, but I'm just like. There was, there was a line where like, basically like Siv was okay with it. And it was like, okay, we're just not going to go into like yeah. the psychological impact of isolation. We're yeah. just not doing that right now, I guess. Yeah, I don't, I didn't want to think about it. <laughs> so, um, we've, we didn't get a lot of, you know, impacts on like canon and world building things as we did in like other books like say bloodline or aftermath but there was you know some good stuff for the first order um i i had written this question into the show notes right before uh where is admiral sloan and megan was like where is admiral sloan i ask that question every day (laughs) (laughs) there is still the lots of me wants her to be a a good guy i would love to see her join the republic (laughs) right now it sounds like she's at least alive she's seems like she's with the first order but she's alive and that's important 
See, I don't think she is. I Yeah, I don't. So, yeah, the line. So one of you put it in the show notes. Sir, if I may say so, if Admiral Sloan was here, well, she's not Armitage Snaps. Uh, when I might. read that, I went, oh, God, she's dead. Maybe because, like, uh, and because she, she might be on another ship. Because she I knows him. Like, the, he knows her and she knows him. Yep. Um. Yeah, I, I, I mean. I have this big whole theory about them, like where, because, you know, that whole bit of Empire's End, which was everything I wanted in life, but where they were allies. And I think that I think Sloan is too smart to ever go along with the super weapon thing. Yep. And I think that something happened where she is now gone. I think she's dead. And that's why you have Snoke taking over and why you have Starkiller being built. Huh. Interesting. Mostly, I'm just going on like I want her to be alive. Yeah, but that sounds I want like her a to solid be alive theory. too. What I really want, which is not going to happen because I don't get what I want, is <laughs> for her and her to have like gone off and to have met up with Grand Admiral Thrawn, and they come back and shape the galaxy oh. up. <laughs> That's what I want to happen. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen, Nancy. No, I know, I know. Nothing I want happens. It's okay. <laughs> I've accepted this. Um, but yeah, I I thought that was very cleverly written as to you don't know if she's alive or not. Like the same thing in Empire's End when they mentioned Thrawn. Like there were so many people who were like, "Oh, well, that I, I it, he's definitely dead," and I was like, "I didn't get that," but. You, they didn't really specify. Like they just, they just mentioned him. You know. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm definitely sure we have not seen the last of Admiral Sloan. So. And um, Bria, <laughs> I added this yes, to you. <laughs> <laughs> so not only is Armitage <laughs> talking to Cardinal in his robe, <laughs> uh. He the the chapter ends with uh for now Armitage has to get ready. Kylo Ren doesn't like to wait. <laughs> That's just what you call trolling. Oh no, it's canon. I'm sorry guys. It's canon. I mean it could be canon, but it's also trolling. <laughs> Listen. It's canon. I just I I'm going to accept and take that it probably will not see it on the screen or be confirmed in the book, but the fact that Kylo Ren doesn't like to wait and Hux is running around in a robe. <laughs> I, number one, I've read all the fanfics now. Number two, I am 100% here for that and I love Delilah for putting that exchange in. <laughs> I definitely want to like, so, so Kylo was... I'm sorry, I'm like dying over here. <laughs> And I'm trying to be serious now. <laughs> no, I just because Kylo, like thinking, like he was, he was. I mean, depending on how much earlier this was in the Force Awakens, like how much younger he was, mm-hmm. and I'm just like he, like, I mean, he's just such. He's got such a temper, and like you know, yeah. no one is gonna want to like cross him. And I'm one. I'm really curious about like him and Phasma's interaction. Because I doubt Phasma really cares to be ordered around by, like, a petulant child. Yeah, um, but at the same time, like, Kylo's clearly established himself as some sort of authority yeah. because he has the Force. I want to so know I, what... I'd love to see more about 
what Phasma thinks of, like, what does Phasma think he is? You yeah, know? another. F- mm. I I'm really interested to see like how Kylo like established himself as you know basically leader below Snoke, like because you know murder a lot of murder. Yeah, that that's that's the only thing I can think of because like he's. Like, in Snoke's favor, probably. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. he's ridiculous. You know, like, I'm imagining there are <laughs> stormtroopers who are like, who the heck is this child? And then, you know, they're like, oh, shit, he's crazy. <laughs> Let's do what yeah. he says. <laughs> yeah. It's not yeah. like he, um, it's not like he's known for being a organized leader. Yeah. And, like, you know, Vader, as far as... And, and I guess it's kind of similar to the Vader thing, because, like, people don't... I'm wondering, like... Because I know they said, like, they never speak his birth name, but, like, do people know that's who he is? I don't think so. Armitage does. Yeah. But I don't think most of the rest of them do, simply because... I don't think Kylo wants anyone to know and he can establish himself as being scary enough. I mean, I know a lot of us laughed and I'm amongst them, like when he beat the crap out of that wall with his lightsaber. Mm-hmm. But Mataka was clearly yeah. terrified. I laughed, uh, but I was also like, holy crap, you yeah, are nuts. Yeah, definitely a, a frightening <laughs> scene. There's probably a lot of rumors too. It reminds me a lot of like, no, this is my turn to talk about the thing I always talk about. The character in Twilight Company, who's the <laughs> sage character, the like he's not a force user, but he's a devotee of the Sith. And he has a relationship with the Imperial officer that I think is very much like what Kylo would have with the officers around him, which is that like they kind of think he's cultish and crazy, but he wields some influence. So they're always on their toes around him. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're just like, he's just a kid. There's all these rumors about how weird he is. Uh, that reminds me a lot of what I think Kylo's space in, or, uh, you know, what his situation in the first order space is. Hmm. That, re- <sighs> what is, I just had a thought and then I completely forgot. And that makes me mad. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, no, remind, maybe we can come back. To it, it reminded me of, oh, oh, yes, I remember now. So, um, in the from a certain point of view anthology, there is this the the um fully operational story, um, where you know it's it's the briefing room scene, and you get kind of more of like the people's thoughts on Vader, and throughout the whole book, you get kind of like thoughts on Vader. Um, but that story in particular, you know, reminded me of like how the normal people think of the force and like force users. Um, yeah. So, you know, Cardinal's whole point for doing this is that he he is sure that Phasma had something to do with Brendel Hooks dying and that she will end up betraying them all. And uh Force Awakens, we see that Phasma will do anything to stay alive, even bring down the shields of Starkiller Base. Um, so now I'm wondering, like, will I? I don't know if she would ever like turn face, you know, to use that terminology. But I, I definitely could see her betraying the First Order further um, if it would help her. Um, 
Yeah, I don't necessarily think it would be a moral stance yeah, like exactly. Victor took. It yeah. would it would be like what we saw in The Force Awakens, or maybe now that the heroes know that Phasma will kind of bend under pressure, maybe mm. they'll manipulate her in some way. That's interesting. It would be interesting, like, just to theorize Phasma, like, act, like joining with the Resistance to, like, bring down the First Order. And then, yeah. what, and then what the hell happens to her after that? Because <laughs> it know? would have to be, she seems to go for the people that have the most firepower. Like, yeah. she would go to the people that are the most advantageous to her. So I can see her trying to go over to the other side only after they've won. And right. the Resistance being like, no, you're a war criminal. Yeah, no way. Yeah. You're, no. <laughs> go away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... I can't remember anything else specifically, like, for world building and canon stuff, but, like, definitely there's a lot, like, if if you're interested in, like, the inner workings of the First Order, you get more of it here. Um, not as much as I was hoping for, but I, I know we're not going to get a lot of, like, how the First Order came to be until the movies are over, so. Yeah, we're and still dodging around. Do. Yeah. I once we get it, I will devour those books. Because <laughs> this was like, I think that's why I love the uh, the absolution stuff so much. Mm-hmm. I just want more of the first order. Yeah. I have a problem, I know. But <laughs> um, So uh, concerns, likes, dislikes. Um, I don't know who put the, the Vi quote in. Oh, I, I put the Vi quote in. Megan. <laughs> um, I thought that that was significant because it's sort of about the book itself, like Mm -hmm. knowing how the First Order became the First Order doesn't always help destroy it, which to me just seemed like an interesting meta commentary on like the rebellion can or the resistance can know all it can possibly know about the motivations of these people. But that doesn't make them that doesn't help them or doesn't make the First Order the good guys, you know? Yeah. I just thought it was, like, interestingly kind of meta, you know, that's sort of the idea of the whole story was wrapped around is how do monsters become monsters? Yeah. And in Phasma's case, well, partially because of Parnassus itself, partially because of the journey that we see her go on. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see if she would be the same person if she had grown up in a different environment. that's, I'm fascinated by that. I want to see the, like role swap thing where like if she had grown up yeah in the uh new republic like because they're an affluent family what would she be like yeah i mean because and then you can use the counterpoint you've got ben solo who grew up in an affluent family with the new republic and turned out to also be a monster so exactly and there's an element of greed there i think they yeah. both want to you know clutch tightly to the thing that they own and keep mm-hmm. it safe which is then also what led Anakin Skywalker down his yeah. troubled path in the first place. And you've got, like, you know, Luke knowing about, you know, his father and how his father became Darth Vader, and that, like, prevents him from going down the same path. But then you have, you know, Ben Solo, who obviously learns about his grandfather and ends up following in his footsteps. Um, yeah. So it's like, what you know, what is the difference? Is, you know, is it just, is it the the people themselves? Is it what happens around them? Um, Yeah. 
And I think the answer to that is just, well, depends on which way you want the story to go. But like, I'd read that fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the only other, I guess, really the thing that like, I was reading this book and I was kind of like, you know, towards the middle, I was very much kind of skimming the Par- Parnassus parts and I was like ready for them to be off the planet and for the story, you know, to get to the end of the story. And once we finally get to the end, you know, Cardinal is kind of like not happy with everything and wants to know more. And he says, this was Civ's story and I don't care about Civ. And I was like, well, that was just kind of lampshaded the whole like concerns about the book that I had. Um, Cause it is, you know, you can ask the question, is it Phasma's story? Like whose story is it? Is it Phasma's? Is it Cardinal's? Is it Civ's? Is it everyone's story? Yeah. And that's part of the nature of this format. I think that if you don't care about Civ, the whole thing becomes a bit of a slog Mm -hmm. because then you're sort of distracted by characters like Phasma, like Hux, uh, sort of waiting to get to them instead of following the main story. And I liked Civ well enough, but I can see how that, that is a lampshade that it's, yeah. You know, throwing into question the format of the entire book, or at least acknowledging the format. And I think it might have been, like, deliberate, because, like I said before, like, I definitely felt Cardinal's frustration. Um, which, I mean, is, is like, and I said, I think I'd like the book more the second time around, because I know what's happening, and I know the yeah. story, and I can appreciate more like the 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 actual writing of it than than wanting to know. Yeah, that could very well be, and that sort of brings me back to that idea of reflection. That I think that yeah, I I don't know, I don't know that she's mentioned this at all, but I feel like um, Delilah Dawson kind of knew she was playing with reflections and playing with light and working that theme into something like this is yeah. is cool. And it's very interesting to think about if we will end up seeing her without her helmet. I, I'm yeah. I'm feeling like it's leaning towards that with like other like especially the Vanity Fair photo spread. Yeah. Um, it was like one description in here of her eyes. I yeah. think that she had like, you know, hard eyes, but nothing else. And I at this point I'm almost hundred percent sure that there she looks like Gwendolyn Christie because yeah. it's like that's the most natural thing to do. That's what a lot of people want. So that's what I was picturing. Yeah. There was no reason for her to take her helmet off mm-hmm. if they didn't know that we were going to be able to see under her helmet in the yeah. next film. Yeah. I'm kind of torn because like I like I like being able to see that she's a woman, but I also like the idea of never taking off her helmet, you know, because you don't need to. But um, I do I do sort of want to see her mostly because I think Gwendolyn Christie like looks cool. So <laughs> and because of that, you know, show that she's a woman, show yeah. that that's not a question. Yeah. So um, let's move on to the listener questions and we'll try to get these as quickly as possible because we have a lot of Hux questions for some reason or other. I'm ah. sorry. <laughs> Bria has learned you can never talk about Hux on Twitter recently. <laughs> it's fine. Delilah also learned a similar lesson. Yeah. So uh, Scott said, I'm enjoy- I've enjoyed the present day stuff much more than the Phasma flashbacks. Am I alone in feeling this way? 
I think we, you know, said that, no, you're definitely not. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, Elizabeth said, unreliable narrators. Can we trust what is shared at all considering the source? Um, and that's a good question because then it's like, do we trust Siv? Do we trust Vi? Because <laughs> the source is both coming through the filters of both of them. And, mm. and I definitely see Vi twisting things around to save her skin. Um, I was even wondering. This, this might not be the question, the answer to the question that you're really asking, but I can't help but think of that from an out of universe perspective. Like right now, I say, yeah, we can generally trust what's shared. The details are not necessarily all perfect, but we can generally trust it. However, if the story group or um, the Dell editors think that there's a reason to tell another story in this time period, they could very easily say, well, that was an unreliable narrator. And so it's not a contradiction. It's just a different narrator. So I can't help but think of that from like a meta perspective and that that's sort of a tool in the toolbox of working in a universe as large as this one. Mm. <laughs> um, David says the potential downside to giving Phasma a great backstory is what if the movies don't pay it off? Are book are book slash comic signs of a bigger role? I hope so. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm glad that we've gotten what we have so far. I'm glad that she has both the novel and the comic series. Um, I it's interesting saying whether the movies don't pay it off because as we sort of mentioned before, this actually like lowered my expectations for her in a way that is appropriate for her character. Like I don't expect her to become, a, you know, a good guy necessarily, but it does show that they know that people like her and that could be signs of a bigger role. Yeah. Also, this is star Wars. It has a very grand tradition of giving big backstories and big, <laughs> book comic plot lines to characters who really are more than minor roles so <laughs> yeah and the entirety of from a certain point of view <laughs> yeah 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 i mean i think that's kind of like the whole point of the um of the expanded universe um so i'm okay with it but i do hope we get more of her and i think i think one of the reasons we're getting more of her is because people wanted more in the movie so answering that question yeah and i'm glad they're doing that a lot of people sort of said well she was a, a pushover in the movie we didn't get to fight we didn't get to see her fight enough like you get to see her fight in this book yeah um so now moving on to the box questions and someone at, named delilah <laughs> asks uh where does your trash son buy his silky but somehow sharply creased bathrobes <laughs> Okay. Does so the I first order have this. a star? Does the first order have a Walmart? No, he they wouldn't do. go to Walmart. Please. No, those are tailored. <laughs> yeah. They're, you know, they're specially tailored. However, I, I believe that every now and then Hux goes on, or set, well, no, he goes himself on an undercover mission to Coruscant where there's a store called Arinda's Secret where he's able to get oh my nice God. tailored bathrobes. Arinda's <laughs> like Secret, Bria. Listen, I think Governor Price needs a job when she's done, like, you know, killing everyone. So given her varied background, she opened a lingerie store. (laughs) Oh, my God. 
Moving on, Jay asks, why is Hux, all of them, so terrible? <laughs> I would like to know why Jay is terrible. <laughs> I mean, they are terrible, Bria. Okay, Brendel is terrible. His name is Commandant Brendel the Worst. Hux, Armitage, <laughs> however, is not terrible. He is my trash son who tries very hard. No, he tries very hard to be terrible. <laughs> and he's good at it. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's still he's still terrible you leave him alone uh kind of going along with that alan asks does jason fry get enough credit for establishing the hux legacy in servants of the empire and megan you had a good response to this question (laughs) jason fry does not get enough credit for anything (laughs) yes hopefully when the last jedi novelization comes out he will get more but he has done some great stuff in servants of the empire including establishing the Hux legacy, and he should always be credited highly for it. Yes, Servants of the Empire is great. If you haven't read it, basically, uh, Hux, doesn't sh- do. yeah, Hux doesn't show up until the last book. And um, I I was reading it, and, you know, the the main character, Zare, is at the Academy on Arcanus, and I got to the the line Commandant Hux, you know, stand, you know, Commandant Hux is entering, and I went, what? <laughs> because this was before the Force Awakens came out, um, but we knew about General Hux, and I was like, what, what, what is that? What? And then you know they said, yeah, it's his dad, and I was like, oh my god, like this should be a journey to the Force Awakens book, and um you know started getting a lot of more information about you know he he was basically training a group of like kids to like be his prize stormtroopers and i was like oh yeah that was cool because we didn't have a lot of information about the sequel trilogy at that time and suddenly there was what was revealed later to be quite a lot of it yeah and i i believe that jason said that it wasn't originally supposed to be hux and i think like it was suggested to him to use that to use that character i don't know if i'm remembering it correctly but i think i i remember that's what him saying so that was it was very good story group synergy from what i recall um uh here's an interesting question (laughs) <laughs> With October around the corner, please discuss what you think baby or adult Armitage would wear for Halloween. I think he would go as Bill Weasley. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and here I thought we were going within the universe. So I was saying he would totally want to be Senator Palpatine as a child. As oh, an adult, God. he has no use for that holiday. It is a waste of time and resources. <laughs> Uh, every time I go on the Harry Potter and the Gring- the Gringotts ride, uh, Universal, I go, <sighs> General Hux. What are you? What has happened to you? What are you doing? <laughs> um, another question. Uh, what do you think was Armitage's military rank when he saved Brundle and Phasma from the space Mad Max planet? I forgot that was him that saved him. I totally yeah. forgot. Okay, so. There's a couple of possibilities because it specifically says a black uniform. Um, so he's no, well, he's he can't be that high ranking yet. So we know he's there's no way he's a general. Mm-hmm. And the colonels and the majors have the teal uniforms, which isn't that. Mm. Technically, they descri- technically the lieutenant and captain uniforms are more of like a very dark gray, and it's the enlisted men who wear the black uniforms. So like uh, the uh, Love Actually kid who died, oh. he had one the black the black uniform because he was more of an enlisted 
I think, however, he was probably either lieutenant or captain, and it's just got described as being black instead of being the dark charcoal gray. Okay. Which means he had those unfortunate code cylinders on his chest. <laughs> Next question. Is Hux an expert sniper? I love that headcanon. I literally have a print of that headcanon on my wall. However, I don't think so. Okay. In canon. Is Hux a calf or tea drinker? What were his best calf. and worst <laughs> What were his best <laughs> and worst subjects at the academy? Uh, he was very good at the military military strategy and not so good probably at mm, astronavigation. I think he was very also very good at elocution. Yes. Not so great <laughs> at ethics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that about sums it up. Uh, at, he was probably in drama from his ability proje- to project. Ha! <laughs> I like it. Uh, does he have any surprising musical talents? God, no. <laughs> uh, how do you think Hux feels about his mother slash her status? Ooh, okay. So, <laughs> I listen, I put a lot of thought into this ever since we got bastard son slip that is a piece of paper okay i think that he does i think that brendel probably basically took him away from his mom as soon as he could get away with it because obviously it wasn't having any other any other heirs and so i think armitage was basically like trained to never think about his mom um and i think and I think, you know, that that kind of sunk in as, and he tried and well, he did. And I think he more resents her than anything because, you know, they weren't married. So that's why he's a bastard. And I think he holds that. And that is something that bothers him. I don't I think occasionally he wonders about whether or not she's alive. But mm-hmm. mostly it's like resentment. And I think Brendel probably encouraged that. It's probably as misogynists now. <sighs> Actually, the First Order is pretty good about having both men and women in positions. No, they are. Of- he he can personally be just, you know, but Listen, still. I think Grace alone would have beat that out of him. <laughs> is she his mom now? Oh, no, that's gross. Listen, I kind of <laughs> I can definitely um, see him as having kind of hiding that despite Sloane's influence. But then I also believe that Sloane left, so... Yeah. Um, and finally, why is Hux always at the crux of all the flux in the galaxy? <laughs> is he, though? Is he really? <laughs> no. He wants to be, but he's not. <laughs> he wants to be in the room where it happens. Gold star <laughs> for you, Hux. All right. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off? I love my no. trash son. I also enjoyed the book. <laughs> <laughs> I think this was definitely a good book. Um, if you're going into it looking for Phasma backstory, you will find it. If you were going in to find Phasma perspective, you will not find as much of that. So just be aware of that. Yeah. And while you will get some First Order stuff, it's not as much as one might like. Um, so, you know, I know I, I saw people that were disappointed because they wanted a book entirely from the First Order and it and it wasn't. Um but you do, you do get some stuff, so just temper your expectations and and you'll be good. Um, so yeah, I, I I liked it. I think we all liked it. Yay, another good mark notch in the Star Wars canon. Um, we've been doing really good lately with Star Wars books. <laughs> yeah, and um, 
later today, probably, I'm going to spend a while talking about um, Phasma as compared to Inferno Squad in terms of, like, we've got two, like, pretty solid books about female villains, which is awesome. Nice. So we'll, I'm recording Blaster Cannon after this. So if you're interested in that, we'll probably talk about that there. (laughs) Cool. And so, like, uh, that is a good segue. Megan, if you can tell people where they can find you online. Sure. Um, my hub is uh, Twitter. So I'm at blog full of words on Twitter. I podcast for Western Reaches from Tashi Station, for Blaster Cannon from Den of Geek, and write for Den of Geek and Star Wars Insider and a couple other outlets. And Bria, what about you? Y'all know where to find me. Uh, <laughs> Twitter is at Chaos Bria, and then I am always writing reviews and everything for Tashi Station. So if you ever want to talk about the First Order, just hit me up on Twitter. <laughs> Only if you're going to talk good things about my son, though. <laughs> oh, well, thank everyone for joining us for this other this new episode of the Tashi Station Book Club. We've been brought to you by you, our Patreon subscribers. Please click the links on the blog to help us support the show. And we do chat about the books in our Slack team. So um, go check that out if you're interested. You can find us on Twitter with the handles Tashi underscore station. And I am at Nancy Pants. It says Nancy with an I. And you can find our columns and news at Tashi-station.net and our book club discussions over on Goodreads. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back next month to discuss Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo. Bye!